I never, ever in my wildest dreams thought that it would happen to me. I never thought that I would have a miscarriage. I felt like um, it was my fault. I just kept saying over and over again, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. We have all this support for postpartum women, but what about women who lose their babies? Where's the support there? Where's my phone call from, you know, somebody? I just never knew that a life that, sorry, that I never met would cause so much grief. I'm Cynthia Overgaard, owner of Hypnobirthing of Connecticut, childbirth advocate, and postpartum support specialist. And I'm Trisha Ludwig, certified nurse midwife and international board-certified lactation consultant. And this is the Down to Birth Podcast. Childbirth is something we're made to do, but how do we have our safest and most satisfying experience in today's medical culture? Let's dispel the myths and get down to birth. My name is Amanda, and this is the story of my miscarriage. Um, so I actually have had three. Uh, the first time I got pregnant, I had um, a full-term birth. My son, Teddy, who's now six, healthy baby boy. Um, and when I wanted to get pregnant again, uh, we tried, and I got pregnant again right away. And I was really, really excited because um, I had just found out I was pregnant around the time where my brother and his wife um, had a baby. So I was really excited because I felt like I had this exciting secret that um, Teddy was going to get a sibling. He was going to get another cousin. And after she had the baby, I went to go visit her about a week later. I had been pregnant for about, yeah, about seven weeks at that point. And then a week later, uh, around eight weeks, I went to go visit her and see the baby. And I started miscarrying at her house. I just started bleeding like profusely. I went and told Lenny, uh, my husband, and I, um, I, w I was trying so hard to not cry. I was trying so hard to be quiet because I wanted to celebrate my sister-in-law's you know, new baby and I didn't want to take any attention away from her. And it was really, really hard because <laughs> obviously she had just had a new baby and I was losing mine. In, in the process. I had horrible, horrible um, cramps and I, I felt just really awful. So um, everyone in my family had kind of knew something was happening. So I kept coming in and out of the bathroom. I had tears in my eyes and you know, everyone in my family knew and I just wanted to go to the hospital. I don't know why I wanted to go to the hospital. I think I just, I think I was just scared. I didn't really understand what was happening and I wanted to make sure that, you know, I was okay. There was so much blood. We packed up in the car. Um, my, my sister happened to be there, thank God. So she stayed with Teddy while Lenny took me to the hospital. And it was probably one of the worst decisions I've made was to go to the hospital when I was miscarrying because I went to the ER and they wanted to do a, a sonogram and use like the wand and see what was happening. I don't know why, because I was bleeding so much, it was pretty obvious um, what was happening. And they wouldn't allow Lenny to come with me. So I was in there with like a male tech who I think was like 25 and he was pushing the wand in me and it was just an awful, horrible, painful feeling. And I was just sobbing uncontrollably. And I just kept, you know, so anyway, that part was over. Um, and I just sat with Lenny in there for a while until, you know, they confirmed there was nothing there. And, and then, um, 
and then we went home. And then a little while later, uh, we tried again. Um, I got pregnant. This time I was about um, 12 weeks along when I started um, telling everyone. I told everyone at work, my, my colleague who worked right next to me was, um, was also pregnant. She was about eight weeks pregnant. So we were going to be due within a month of each other, uh, both with our second child. We were really excited. Um, I remember, uh, again, just total lack of humility. Um, I went, even after my first miscarriage, I went to uh, the hospital to get my sonogram and they couldn't find a heartbeat. I remember her exact words were, um, sweetie, I'm so sorry, there's no heart, I'm not seeing a heartbeat. And I couldn't stop crying, I couldn't stop shaking. I called my husband, he wouldn't pick up. He was teaching at the time. I called his uh, principal actually, and, and the secretary ran down to go get him. And um, I was all by myself in this hospital and just found out that I had lost this baby and I had already told everybody and it was just, uh, it was just awful. I just, I just remember feeling like I couldn't cry hard enough and I, I, as soon as he came to the hospital, I just couldn't stop apologizing to him. I felt like um, it was my fault. I just kept saying over and over again, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. Um, then about a week later, uh, I went to go visit my midwife and who was tied to the hospital where I was. I think I was trying to seek an answer of what happened, even though we didn't know what happened. I did have to have a DNC. She, I had asked her, you know, what do you think happened? I said, do you think it's my weight? Do you think it's, do you think it's because I'm so heavy? And I mean, I'm, I'm heavy, but I wasn't like obese or anything. And she said, I don't know, Amanda, it could be, it could be, it could be that. And I knew, I knew it wasn't really that. I don't know why I asked her that. I think I was fishing for someone to comfort me that it wasn't my fault that I didn't do anything wrong. And, um, and I, I didn't get that from her. So I, um, I left the practice and then I tried again and, and I, um, we had gotten pregnant again, I think about like uh, half a year later. Um, and as a teacher, you try and get pregnant at certain times because you want to have uh, your leave in the spring so you can go right into the summer and have time with your baby. So at that point, I didn't care anymore about that. I just was so desperate to give my son a sibling. And um, we had gotten pregnant and then I had lost that baby naturally about like six weeks later. So it was, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't very developed. I had had the positive pregnancy test, but I hadn't even gone in and, and seen, you know, um, an OB yet. Um, but it, and I felt really silly crying about it, but it, it, you know, because it was so early, but it didn't make it any less painful. And so, um, so it was just another devastating blow. And I, you know, at that point, um, you know, I was looking into adoption and everything. And I just remember feeling really angry at the world when I found out how expensive it was to adopt a child. <laughs> um, because I had felt like I had all this love to give and all this, uh, I wanted a sibling so badly as I grew up with siblings um, for my son, Teddy. And I just was angry that this was such a difficult thing for me and my family. And uh, we eventually tried again. I could not have been more terrified when I was pregnant with Jack. And Jack is a healthy baby boy. He's, he's he'll be two in February. But um, the whole time, I think I I would not go to an appointment alone. Uh, and I I switched providers. I just was trying to find the right person who would fit with me. And um, you know, thank God, um, I I was lucky enough to to have him. Yeah, it was probably the hardest time of my life. So thank you for sharing that, Amanda. Uh, my name's Nicole, uh, and um, this is my 
miscarriage story. So I um, have a daughter, my husband and I have a daughter who is a year and a half. Uh, and just this past summer, we decided to try for our second baby. Got pregnant right away, very exciting. Um, and I had gone for my regular appointments, um, you know, my regular sonograms and everything checked out okay, everything looked great. Um, I felt great, which was um, a change with my daughter. I had felt uh, every food aversion under the sun and nauseous the whole entire nine months, gosh. Um, so this was a, a big change. Um, and, you know, and, and uh, but all my appointments checked out were perfectly fine up until 12 weeks and I kind of just thought wow maybe I just got lucky this time and everyone kept saying every pregnancy is different you, you know some of them you don't feel well some of them you feel great so in the back of my head I kind of thought you know these lack of symptoms you know is everything okay but uh, but maybe I'm just lucky this time so, you know, up until 12 weeks and everybody knew we were pregnant, we had uh, made an announcement and everything, taken pictures with our daughter. Um, and at my 12-week appointment, they couldn't find the heartbeat. And I thought to myself, well, I feel fine. Never better. I feel great. You know, no cramping or anything like that. So they took me right in to do um, an an ultrasound to look at the baby just to see, you know, it, maybe it was just the angle. Maybe they just couldn't hear the heartbeat. So, and I kind of chalked it up to the fact of that as well. So I'm sitting there waiting and, um, you know, the second the, the ultrasound technologist uh, rolled the transducer over my belly, I'm actually a radiology tech. So the second the pictures came up, I, I saw um, that the, the baby's heart was not moving. And Boy, at first I, I sat there kind of looking at the pictures and I thought, wow, I never thought this would happen to me. And, you know, as a, as a medical person, you know, I, I understand that this happens. I can accept that. I, you know, I, I, I you know, know the statistics and the facts and, um, you know, this happens and, and I can accept that. But, oh my gosh, I was not prepared for the emotions to follow. So, um, oh, I'm going to cry just thinking about it. So, uh, you know, we got the news and, and I kind of thought, boy, I never thought this would happen to me. I get it. It happens. Um, you know, this is common. It happens to people. And I tried to kind of talk myself down because I was alone. So I sat there and I got dressed. I had called my husband and, and oh, the tears just came. <laughs> and I called my, my mom right away too. And my sister was, happened to be at my mom's house. So I told them both at the same time. And while I was still sitting there in the office waiting for them to come back and tell me what to do next, I, and I kind of immediately was thinking, what's going to happen to me now? Do I wait? Do I need to go uh, for a DNC, which I did end up doing. Uh, and because I was 12, I was 12 weeks, um, they had recommended that I did the DNC. So I ended up calling, the second I walked out of the office, I ended up calling a girlfriend of mine who this had happened to a number of times. And I hadn't even called my husband back yet. I, the second I walked out of the office, I called her and, because I, I, I just needed somebody to calm me down. And I knew that she was the first person who popped into my head, someone who's been through this before, who's gone through this experience. And I, I said, what do I do? <laughs> and she was the only person who I knew who could calm me down. And she, and she did and uh, kind of told me a little bit of her experience. So I was able to kind of think a little bit more clearly by the time I called my husband and my mom back. And I remember walking to my car and thinking, 
you know, again, I was kind of trying to just rationalize it to myself, like, okay, I'm, I, I know that this happens and you're going to be okay. But as I said, I, I was not prepared for the emotional toll that this takes you and the guilt that, that Amanda had mentioned that you feel, gosh, did I have too much coffee? Did I not take my, did I skip my vitamin too many times? And you kind of go through all these things in your head that what did I do wrong? And at 12 weeks too. So when we found out that, okay, it was nothing that we did. It was just a random genetic thing and, and this happens and this is what most of them are caused by. It was nothing that you did. I did feel some guilt lifted that it was confirmed that, you know, nothing that I did. And, uh, so that did make things a little bit better. And, uh, and I don't know if people think about this quite so much, but the whole four to five weeks afterwards when you're waiting for kind of your cycle to return, I sort of felt like even though the procedure was over, which was, you know, scary, I never had any kind of like surgery or anything before. So that was scary for, you know, to mentally kind of get through. Once that was over and you kind of process everything, that whole four to five weeks waiting for, or even longer, I think for some people, you feel like the brunt of this is over and but my body is not back to normal. And I felt like once my cycle had returned, I felt better. Like it was just really monumental that, okay, my body is back to normal and looking forward to kind of trying again and looking forward to the next step. So that's when I felt like things looked up and got a little bit better was now that now I can look forward to moving on. I, I totally... I totally understand what you mean about the um, about getting the results of the DNC. Uh, it took for it felt like forever to see what it was. Um, for us, it, the baby had trisomy twenty one, um, just Downs, and I uh, my first the whole reason I wanted to become a, a teacher, which is what I'm doing now, is my first kid. I was a parent to a boy with Downs, and I just remember like shouting. I would have loved that baby and given everything to that baby I could have. I don't care if it had downs and, and all that stuff. And I, um, I remember my aunt saying to me at the time, she said, Amanda, your body was helping you. Your body was doing the right thing. Your body was, was, um, you know, was working for you. And I said, no, it's not my body. I felt like my body betrayed me. And she said, no, it didn't. And that was really hard for me to hear at the time. But now after enough time to heal, I believe that was really true. My name is Megan, and I never, ever in my wildest dreams thought that it would happen to me. I never thought that I would have a miscarriage. And when you hear of people having miscarriages or you know of someone, at least in my case, I thought, oh, that's so sad. And then I would just move on to the next thought because I just didn't really put much thought or feeling into it. I come from a very big family, a big Irish Catholic family. I never heard of anyone having miscarriages. I had one aunt who had two stillbirths and a miscarriage on the other side of my family, but that was so unusual that it was such an outlier. I never, ever, ever in a million years thought it could happen in my family and especially to me. So I had two beautiful pregnancies prior to my miscarriage. I have a son who's four and a half and another son who is two and a half. And both were very easy to conceive, 
had very easy pregnancies. Actually, my second son, my two and a half year old, I didn't even know I was pregnant until nine and a half weeks <laughs> um, because I was breastfeeding my other son and my period was a little off. So we just sailed through those two and delivery as well. And, and when we decided on a third, um, we, re we received positive test result right away that we just conceived very easily. And I just thought it was meant to be. And I kept growing and everything felt like normal to me, whatever that was at the time. And my other friend had found out that she was pregnant while well, she was about a month ahead of me. So I was really excited that we'd have two little ones in our little crew growing up together. Um, so I, on Halloween, I went to the bathroom and I saw a spot of blood and I had never bled before during pregnancy. So I thought, oh, that's strange. Um, but I had heard a story of my mom bleeding with my older sister just a little bit throughout her pregnancy. So I thought, oh, maybe that's it. Um, and then the cramping started. And so um, I just kind of laid down and it was kind of ironic because the day before my husband and I um, committed to a home birth midwife. And we had just, you know, talked to her and said, oh, we're so excited to work with you. That was Friday night. And then Saturday I started bleeding. So it was very, um, very strange. Mm. Um, so I called her right away and I started asking questions and she was very reassuring. Um, and I just laid down the rest of the day. But every time I went to the bathroom, I was almost scared because I was bleeding a little bit, not a lot, but just a little bit every time in my cramps, it almost felt like I had my period or like the PMS symptoms before my period. So I laid in bed on all day Sunday. And then the beauty of um, my home birth midwifery, my home birth midwife was that she came to my home and she was so loving and kind and helped me, um, just she tried to find the heartbeat, could not find a heartbeat. But again, um, like you said, Nicole, it was I was 11 weeks at that point, and she said, "You know, these babies are so tricky at this time; they can just hide anywhere." So I just kind of chalked it up to that, and so I just waited. And every time I went to the bathroom, again, I was scared. And so she was kind enough to order me an ultrasound for Monday the next day. Um, and so I went in and again, I was by myself, um, not by choice, but by current circumstances. Um, and so I sat there and I just, I just kind of knew, but the ultrasound tech just confirmed right away. And like, um, like you said, Nicole, I just, I just couldn't, I couldn't believe it. I just saw the picture, the image of the fetus just floating there. And I just could not believe it. It was almost, it was very surreal. And my husband, unfortunately, was with me on FaceTime. So I was alone, essentially. And so I went home um, after that. And I just started cleaning the house and cooking and doing everything that I hadn't done for the past two days because I was just like, I was angry. I was upset. I was everything. And the hardest part was we had just told my family a week before that because we had family from that came in 
into town and we just wanted to share the good news. Um, we had told our sons and they were so excited. I mean, they talked about it all the time. They got out their baby dolls. They were like obsessed with the idea. So it was very fresh. Um, so I was very concerned about telling them. So I think in my instinctual process of like avoiding my emotions, but moving through them, I also helped the baby come because that night after we had put our sons to bed, um, I, I was able to pass the baby naturally. And my midwife was on the phone with me while I was doing that. Um, and I had never, never even known what that experience would be like. And it's different for every person, of course, but for me, it was just incredible. I couldn't, I couldn't believe how long it took. It took about two hours for me. Um, and it was just so emotional for both my husband and I, it was just devastating. I just never knew that a life that, sorry, that I never met would cause so much grief. Um, so at the time my midwife had told me to collect any remains that I could. Um, and I didn't want to, I was like, no way I'm not doing that. <laughs> but at some point in the two hour process, I managed to, and I was really glad I did. Um, she came over a day or so later and we did an entire ceremony with the remains. And we had told the boys and they were very, very upset. Um, but they understood because death was something that we always normalized in our house. We do normalize because we're out in nature a lot. So they see bugs dying and they see things dying all the time. So it was, but just to not have the baby anymore was really sad for them. So anyways, we did a ceremony with the midwife where we wrapped the remains in avocado leaf, which is a very like healing ritual that other tribal cultures do and we wrapped the baby in white cloth i wrote a letter my husband wrote a letter the boys drew pictures and we put it in a box and we put it all um and had a ceremony in our backyard and we and we buried the remains of the baby where the the kids play um so my husband said that that was very that was a huge closure for him just being able to write that letter and to say goodbye to the baby in that way. Um, for me, it took a lot, a lot longer. It's still resonating with me very strongly. Um, but like you said, Nicole, I, I felt so out of sorts in my body until my period came again. And then I've been feeling a little bit, you know, better, more like myself. I started to shrink back a little bit, <laughs> a little bit. And, um, I was able to just kind of connect again with myself. But like both of you said, I am constantly still thinking like, what, what could I have done better? What, what did I do wrong? Yeah, that's beautiful. I wish that I had done something like that. And I think often, you know, about how you said writing a letter or something to, we actually, we found out that, you know, that my, that our baby was a boy and I would love to write something 
around miscarriage, I think it's really neglected in our society. It's not something that just goes away like, oop, it was a blip. No, it's with you always. It does. And I just got so angry that it wasn't spoken about and nobody talks about it. And it happens to so many women. And these, the majority I'd say of these women feel such shame and get stuck because they believe it's their fault or they feel. And I remember like, I remember talking to you, Cynthia, about it. I remember logic, like logically, I understand this is not my fault, but it feels like it is because I'm the one carrying the baby. My body has to be like the temple where the baby is carried. So what I ended up doing, which I really can't believe I did, but was very healing was I actually wrote a post on Facebook about it. And I like gave a heads up that, you know, this is going to be like me emotionally vomiting on everybody and people like who I haven't seen since like middle school. But I felt like the world needs to know about this and the world needs to know that this happens all the time. And if I could even get through to one woman who maybe has it and wouldn't talk about it, then I felt like I just want her to know I hear you, I see you, and and it's traumatic and it's awful. And if we could only live in a society where there was no shame around it and it was so normalized, yeah. we w- I think we would avoid a lot more heartbreak um, uh, than we would need to p- put up with. And still, you know, I have a colleague who had a miscarriage and she, you know, she kept it to herself and she finally told me and she said, I don't know why I didn't say anything. I just, I just couldn't. Yeah, I really feel for these women. I think so too. Boy, I cannot imagine going through this in a vacuum without, you know, I mean, you know, I understand people grieve in their own way and some people, you know, keep it to themselves and don't really feel that they want to talk about it. It makes them upset and it, you know, on the receiving end too, it makes others upset. Sometimes people don't really know what to say, but um, boy, I could not have gotten through this without my mom and my, I mean, my coworkers needed to know and, and that just the outpouring of support and people would send cards and even just a text message and talking about this happened to them. And I think they say the statistic is one in four or some even say one in three, but I think it's even more than that. So it depends on if you're looking at confirmed pregnancies or not. So this is the thing with miscarriage that so often it happens before women actually even know they're pregnant. Um, And that is about a third of pregnancies. And then of confirmed pregnancies, it's closer to one in four, one in five. Mm -hmm. Can we go into how you felt with people's comments when you told them the news? What was helpful? What wasn't? Yeah, I, I, uh, it goes back to, you know, what my aunt said to me at the time when I said, you know, I feel like my body betrayed me. And instead of saying something like, I hear you, or I understand that you feel that way. And I can only imagine you feeling that way. She said, it didn't, your body did the right thing. And to me, that was such a punch in the gut. Uh, and like a stab in the heart, because I wanted that baby. I didn't care what I didn't care what happened to that baby or, or problems that the baby would or wouldn't have, you know, growing up, that was the last thing I wanted to hear. So we, we also live in a society where people don't like to see other people upset. They don't like to let other people feel their feelings, um, of anger, shame, um, guilt, all of those things that, that any person needs to go through to properly grieve a traumatic event. So people are very quick to shut it down that's not only invalidating for the mother who's grieving for the baby, but it's just not a healthy 
it's not a healthy grieving process. It signaled to me like, I need to get over this or, you know, this happens a lot, just move on. And I don't think that's what my aunt at all had intended for me to feel. I don't think that's what anyone intends for them to feel. They just want you to stop crying and to feel better. I also feel like I do feel a little hopeful. I, I feel like the older generation, so the older women who I work with, they would all say, you'll have another, you'll have another, you'll have your family. I didn't really get that from uh, women my age. I got a lot of, you know, I'm so sorry, what can I do? You know, what can, a, a lot of questioning, like, what can I do to help you? How can I make you feel better? How can, how can we get through this? Which was wonderful. I, I don't know if that's me being assumptive, but I, I feel like there's, you know, maybe, maybe I think we're getting a little bit more better about understanding mental health these days and, and the importance to, to grieve and to feel these feelings. It's so, so important because if you don't, they're just going to come out in, in other ways, you know, let, let the woman grieve that baby. That's the baby that they wanted um, so badly and the baby that they'll love forever and the baby that will always have a part of their heart um, and just let them feel that and just be there for them. Yeah, I completely agree with, um, I was actually going to say something very similar about how I feel, you know, kind of in this day and age, we are becoming so much more aware of people's mental health. And that part of the grieving process in this is to acknowledge those feelings and to really kind of move through every step of the grieving process. And I agree too, that I think just because they don't know how to comfort you and they don't know what to say, they find it easier themselves to just avoid the conversation, not realizing the impact that maybe it has on you because what you need right now is connection with someone. And I found when people sort of avoid the conversation, it really makes you feel a little bit more isolated because what, again, what you need is connection with people. And I found that the people who asked me questions about it, how did I feel? How am I feeling now? How's your husband feeling? How's he dealing with it? I think sometimes people forget about the dads. Yeah. And the avoidance, again, I just have to say that I, the avoidance and people trying to avoid you and talk, talking to you about it just cements the guilt and shame that you feel like, oh, I'm supposed to be feeling this way because no one wants to talk about it. Right. The first time I saw my family afterwards, I just sobbed on the couch and my brother put his arm on me, which was comforting and beautiful at the time, but then I didn't receive any follow-up. There was just nothing. It was just silence. And in that silence for me, it was really isolating. And I don't, I don't think in a lot of ways people, in, like you said, intentionally do it. I think there's a lot of discomfort around it, um, but the other thing I didn't realize in miscarriaging, and I don't know if this is the difference between doing a DNC versus having the baby naturally pass because I've never had a DNC, but I bled for two and a half weeks afterwards, like I did with my two sons. Yeah. And I kept having to like tell my close friends and family that like, I'm in a postpartum, I'm postpartum right now. I. I, and everyone's experience is different, but I really experienced emotionally, physically, everything that I did with my two sure. sons that I actually birthed and carried for nine months. So that took an emotional toll on me as well, because I felt like my hormones were all out of whack until I had my period again. And I felt like I was a little bit more balanced. I had two friends that came over with meals for me 
And that was just amazing because they've treated me like I just had a baby, which I think I think we need to do yeah. more of, in my opinion. I'm so glad you said that, Megan, because that's, this is the thought that's been going on in my mind for the last 20 minutes is, is to talk about the difference between how we manage a miscarriage do it, in, the, in the case of letting it pass naturally versus the DNC. Yes, it's harder. You go through that, that postpartum shift but it also gives you the time and space to process. And so often because miscarriage is really common in the medical community, it's sort of like, okay, let's just quickly clean this up and be done. Come on in, we'll do the procedure. It's very uncomfortable procedure. It's invasive. Um, it's cold. It, it doesn't feel, it doesn't feel supportive. I wanted to talk about that too, actually. Um, so I'm really glad that this is being brought up. I had the DNC and I felt nothing. Even when I was at the appointment where they told me that the baby had died, I didn't feel anything. They said, we can do the procedure today. We can do it tomorrow. And oh my gosh, I, I felt this is such a shock. I need more time with this baby. Emotionally, I needed more time with it. I, I wanted to carry it for another day or two. Like I needed to say goodbye. <laughs> So we made the appointment for later that week, and it was very easy. I was, I was afraid. I'd never had any kind of procedure before. So kind of getting over that part mentally was tough. But afterwards, I still had nothing. I never had any cramping, very minimal bleeding. It was almost like this whole thing was just such a, an emotional whirlwind, and it just was here and gone. It was like nothing happened. I had no anything. I never really thought about it that way. I think maybe that was, I mean, I, mean, I, I always figured maybe this, this baby, since it was 13 weeks and since I had the DNC was the hardest to, I don't want to say get over, but the hardest to heal from or start to heal from. Mm -hmm. I don't think you're ever healed, by the way. I don't think that's, a, that's always going to be, that's always going to be with you. Those babies will always be with me. Yeah. I remember feeling, I remember them saying, okay, we're going to sign you up for it. We're going to do the DNC tomorrow. And to me at the time, I think I was so traumatized. I wish that they had had a counselor or someone or someone who could, I mean, not even my own midwife was just like, Oh, yep. It happens, you know, so cold. And so, um, you know, just, just, I just felt like I, I just felt like I was bothering everyone uh, in the medical community about even the midwife about, um, <laughs> I, so, I feel so sorry that I treated it that way. But Amanda, I, I felt the same though. I felt the same. It was this like reaction. I think that's just part of it. I felt that I want it out. I want it out. And I think that's why what had to go on with my life and come in home and clean and cook and do everything. I just, I wanted away from this experience. I wanted to escape. I wanted out. For me, it was um, safer to do the DNC because I know after, I think after about 10 to 12 weeks, they kind of lean a little more towards the DNC just because if you do attempt to pass naturally, I think sometimes not everything comes out. I don't know. If I Definitely the risk of bleeding and complication and infection is higher. And yes. yeah. And for me too, when I delivered my daughter, I suffered a postpartum hemorrhage. So I kind of 
thought for myself, boy, if I try to do this at home, if I try to wait and do this on my own, how much blood will be too much? Am I going to know? Will I be scared? So I felt personally, I felt safer at the hospital. And that's important. Mm -hmm. I think giving women the time and space, just like you, Nicole, took a few extra days to process this. I'm not ready to come in and do this today, right now. I need a little bit more time to process this and bond with this before I release it. I think that is, that's the more important piece. I just wish that they had brought in someone or there was a count or they had offered that or something, you know, and I, I think, you know, you're just so vulnerable in that moment. You're beyond vulnerable. You know, you, you can barely breathe through your tears and, and just, uh, I, I felt like there was no space for decision-making or, um, really not even a space for me to be emotional about it. I mean, I felt, I just remember them making me feel like I, and maybe this is just my own perception, but like I was bothering them, like they had to get to their next appointment. And I was like, well, my, my baby is dead, you know, and, and, you know, can't you, can someone please like help me? It was just, you know, and I, when it's your first miscarriage, even if it's not, I just feel like that's, people just don't know what to do or say. It's just so awkward. Um, even, even people, even with people in the medical community who deal with it all the time. I'm in the medical field myself. And I think, and being on this side of this really drives home that point to what you just made, Amanda, is that I think sometimes when you're the provider, you're the one taking care of the patients, this is perhaps routine for you to see. Perhaps the providers or the midwives see this type of thing every day. And, and to them, to take a few moments and, and listen to your patient who's sobbing in the chair who just lost her baby and who now has to walk out of that office with everybody looking at them like with sorrow in their face. And you're kind of, it's almost like you feel like it's a walk of shame down the hallway. Totally. And being the patient, being on the other side of it, you, you look forward to somebody calling you and saying, how are you? And I don't think, I think my midwife had called me that evening, but I wasn't ready to talk about it. Um, But I think maybe a whole week went by before anybody called me again. And I kind of thought, I feel like we put out support for women who just have babies. And Megan, I think, I think this is a good point, you know, as far as you're, you're almost kind of postpartum. We have all this support for postpartum women but what about women who lose their babies? Where's the support there? Where's my phone call from, you know, somebody? I think a whole week went by before somebody called me again. Yeah, I, I think the medical community, I think, definitely can do better in calling and saying, how are you, and supporting that a little bit. Cynthia and Trisha, you also talk about a lot on your podcast about choosing your provider and how important that is. And I really can attest to that through this experience because I did have a midwife with both of my sons in a hospital setting in a birthing center. But for this baby, we felt called to have a baby at home through a home birth with midwife. And I must say, um, she really was there for my home birth. She was there for me. She was so supportive. Like I said, she walked us through that whole beautiful ceremony and provided such closure that is not given to to women who access the traditional medical setting. Um, Even though I didn't produce a baby that's living, 
my birth process with this home birth midwife was beautiful. When we did our roundtable episode on stillbirth in episode number 14, we had someone in there who had actually gotten so involved in the stillbirth community that she was able to educate us. And um, one thing that we all learned is learning that the grief peaks at four months for moms of stillbirth. That really hit home because you realize the support has long dried up by then. It has long stopped by then. I feel like that hits the nail right on the head. I mean, I'm, I'm trying really hard to go back to this, but I, um, I, like I said before, I, I went to go have EMDR therapy and it didn't really happen until like two months after my losses, because I, I think there's just this, this stuff sits there and it has to be dealt with. And like I said before, if you don't deal with it, it's going to come back. And I think again, it's always there. So it's kind of cyclical a little bit, the, you know, even just having the conversation today, things are coming up again, but the, the EMDR therapy really helped me. Um, cause every time I did it, you know, it was, it felt like less traumatic and I had to get back into that headspace of where I was. So everything from having that horrible conversation with the midwife to getting ready for the DNC to coming home. Um, I think this is always going to be with you. I, I think, I think four months, even though it sounds surprising, that that's always going to stay with you. So I'm actually not really surprised to hear that. I think that makes total sense. I do think in our Western busy culture as well, we don't take the time and the space to actually sit with our grief. And I've really been trying to do that. And I think like Trisha said, it was a blessing to go through postpartum because it really did slow me down and physically so that I had to just stop and be with my, be with myself. And I think that after that postpartum period, I could see four months being a pivotal point because you your body has healed. And if you haven't dealt with the emotions that you've experienced and the trauma that you've experienced, then it's going to come back. Um, I think a lot of it is that four months later, people think you're over it and they're just going to upset you if they bring it up. This is the culture we're in. And really what I think happens is you go through this progression of emotions. You can't possibly process them all at once. You can't possibly go through the full course of your guilt at once or the fear of whether you'll get pregnant again or the anger and the injustice. And every time you feel that stab wound, when you pass a woman who has a baby and you just wonder if you're going to hold a baby again, you can't accelerate that process of all the thoughts and things you're going to feel. But everyone around you, like that loving arm your brother put around your shoulder, Megan, like four months later, he's thinking, she looks good. She seems fine. She's functioning. And I don't want to upset her. And as one woman said in that episode, you can't remind a stillbirth mom of her loss because it's all she thinks about. Yeah. 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 I feel like I'm very uh, lucky to have had another baby after. I think that was part of the healing too. Uh, obviously, these feelings are still here inside me because they come up if, I'm, if I talk about them enough. But um, I felt such a healing when I had had, when I had, had Jack. And I felt like all I could think about was my, my babies that I lost until I had him. I think just acknowledging to yourself that it will, that baby will always be there with you. And it will always be a little bit of a hole in your heart. Um, I think the tricky part is learning to accept that and, and be okay with that 
and then um, and I'm not even going to say move on because it's it's just it just goes with you. Right. So you don't you don't move away from it. You just take it with you. Right. You know, for the rest of your life, I'd imagine. What's a women who experience miscarriage most need to hear? You're not alone and it's not your fault. Yeah, I agree. I agree that you're not alone and that you're loved and you're supported. And I have to say for me, I, I didn't really need much. I just needed someone to spend time with me. I think the most important thing for me would have been questions yeah. like, how can I help? And just silence in many cases so that I could just cry in someone else's presence. But I think there's so much variance between what people experience in miscarriage that we need to hold space for that. And we need to start with, I'm so sorry, how can I help? And then leave space for that woman or man, whoever is suffering with the loss to be invited to have that opportunity to, to discover what they need and to get what they need in that moment. If you enjoyed our podcast, please take a moment to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and share a favorite episode or two. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at DownToBirthShow or contact us and review show notes at DownToBirthShow.com. Please remember this information is made available to you for educational and informational purposes only. It is in no way a substitute for medical advice. For our full disclaimer, visit DownToBirthShow.com slash disclaimer. Thanks for tuning in, and as always, hear everyone and listen to yourself. Women are just incredible and and so strong, and uh, you know we we this happens to us, and and we keep going. <laughs>